Welcome back to the Medical Liability Minute, a podcast where we summarize medical legal threats to physicians in 15 minutes or less so you can continue practicing great medicine with peace of mind. I'm your host, Dr. Jeff Siegel, founder and CEO of Medical Justice, an organization dedicated to protecting doctors from frivolous lawsuits, internet libel, unwarranted demands for refunds, and a bevy of other medical legal threats. Today, I'm joined with my co-host, Mike Sakopoulos, who who serves as our organization's general counsel. Glad to have you with us, Mike. I'm glad to be here. Let's jump in. Tell me about the case today. So the case today is a situation where a a patient went in for a routine lower eyelid blepharoplasty with a plastic surgeon and staff. During the procedure, a needle popped off the syringe and pierced the patient's eyeball, causing an injury. But following the surgery, the uh, the doctor did not inform the patient of the of the pierced eyeball, uh, and instead advised the patient the procedure had gone well and sent her home. Several hours later, the patient presented back to the plastic surgeon, complaining of lack of vision in her right eye. This is probably an early warning sign that not all went well. Correct? I, I would I would say so. This one seems hard to think that you're just going to bluff your way through it. <laughs> Hard to bluff your way yeah, through bluff, or bluff? bluff okay. your way I'm sorry. Through, I couldn't right. resist. The um, plastic surgeon then told the patient what he thought had happened and referred her to the hospital for further care. She was diagnosed with a vitreous hemorrhage, that's blood within the eye, and a retinal detachment from what was a 30-gauge needle puncture. She underwent, these are ophthalmologic procedures, vitrectomy, vitreous tap, focal endophotocoagulation, I believe that would be laser treatment, and intraocular antibiotic injections. Now, this sounds like it was anything but a trivial problem to be solved. Anyway, the patient suffered irreparable and permanent vision loss in her right eye, rendering her legally blind. She sued both the hospital and the staffing company for the scrub tech, the argument being that the surgeon didn't uh, take proper precautions in checking that the needle was properly secured on the syringe before he started to put pressure on the syringe, and um, also that the um, that the uh, surgical uh, technician failed to do the same thing um, and check all the medical instruments properly before the procedure. Not surprisingly, the plastic surgeon um, try to defend by stating it's not his job to check the syringe and the needle, and that is the job of the scrub tech. He's only one person and can do one thing at a time, which is operate or check all the instruments, but not both. That's that's not an unreasonable argument to make. Well, let's see how it <laughs> turned out, okay? <laughs> anyway, this went to a jury trial that already tells you that um, They could not find a meeting of the minds, and the jury found that the plastic surgeon was 20% negligent and that the staffing company was 80% negligent. The total award was about half a million dollars. So the doctor ultimately had to pay about $100,000. This isn't a horrible outcome. That's probably, um, I think that would be considered in today's dollars, a modest uh, payout as a particularly for someone who is legally blind 
in one eye. But there are a number of interesting points right here. Uh, the key point is that the the doctor likely had no power, no control over hiring this scrub tech and the staffing company, meaning that he showed up in the room. I don't know that in this particular case, but certainly that would certainly not be possible. Certainly plausible and would not be a surprise, meaning that the doctor is being held liable or responsible for anyone who's in the room, even if they didn't have the power to control who was in the room. And you see this frequently. Uh, I mean, certainly there are surgeons that like working with the same people. It's like doing a, a ballet where the choreography is well understood in advance. You don't even need to talk. The, the proper instrument is always in your hand before you even think about it. And And sometimes they they give you the instrument you need rather than the instrument you are asking for because that's how well they they know you. So that's 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 when magic happens in the operating room. That's the A team. Sometimes you get the C team. That's someone who has barely been in the operating room before on for your type of case. They may have a lot of experience in other types of cases, but it can be a very frustrating experience for both you and and the scrub tech. I can't imagine it's a it's a picnic fun for, for the either, scrub right? tech. Yeah, I still remember on occasions um, asking a C team scrub tech, "Can you please help me without leaving the room?" <laughs> Meaning that they would help you if you, if they would just leave the room. <laughs> um, didn't necessarily endear me to um, to that particular scrub tech, but you you can't always choose the people that you're going to be working with what is unfortunate is because you are in the same room frequently the captain of the ship doctrine plays out why don't you spend a couple of minutes talking about that right so you're it's it's your patient and you're in charge of this um this procedure so you are going to be held uh, liable for the results whether you think that that's fair or not and so uh, this is the way law unfortunately plays out. I think in this situation, and I'd be interested in, in your opinion, was it made worse by the fact that this was an aesthetic procedure that resulted in blindness? What if the patient, we could imagine some kind of a medical condition where they came in, uh, I think ultimately they had a detached, some detached retina. What if right. they'd been hit by a baseball or a tennis ball and had detached retina, would that make a difference? I, I think it would have made uh, a big difference. Why? Um, an entirely elective case, plastic surgery, blepharoplasty, um, you are taking an entirely healthy patient to, you make them sick to make them healthy again, meaning that you go through the procedure and your goal is to get them back to the physical health they were in before they got started. And anything short of that is going to be a mismanaged expectation. If you were to tell a patient, uh, and we do tell patients that with blepharoplasty, there's a risk that you're going to go blind or die. But nobody hears that. I mean, they just assume they know everyone under the sun has had this type of procedure. And she, this patient um, likely knows no one that has gone blind and knows no one that uh, has died because it's so uncommon the expectation is such that it will never happen to them so yes i do think because this was an entirely elective procedure and it had an adverse outcome uh, that 
that that created a mismanaged expectation, which turned this into litigation. So patients are looking to the physician to be captain of the ship and run this and ensure their safety. And it's just not going to play well if you said, well, unfortunately, someone else was in charge of that. Someone that you've never met that I allowed in the OR um, caused you harm. You're not going to get out of it. I don't think so. Not unless you tell the patient up front, hey, by the way, the scrub text that I'll, I will have in my operating suite, I have no control over them whatsoever. I've never seen them operate in my, uh, in my operating suite ever before. Um, and candidly, I have no idea about their level of skill. Now, but hey, let's give it a try. <laughs> now, if you basically said that and the patient jumped in and said, oh, okay, I'm game, then you might have an argument that the patient assumed the risk for their inexperience. But I'd be shocked if you could find one patient to say, sounds like a great idea. Where do you sign me up? Yeah, I'll wait till next Thursday. Thanks. <laughs> exactly. Anyway, one of the other things that I think did not play well here was presumably the plastic surgeon was aware of the needle shooting off of the syringe and um, piercing the, the eye. Uh, I think it was probably a judgment error uh, to assume that no harm occurred to the patient and sent the patient home, meaning that there, while there may not have been an ostensible injury, the plastic surgeon's not an ophthalmologist and really didn't have a great way to determine that all was well within the eye. I think what would probably have been better and may have prevented a lawsuit, even though there was a bad outcome and maybe a lawsuit was always going to take place, would have been to tell the patient immediately what had happened. Just fess up, be honest, and explain that you're on it. You basically are going to do what it takes to make sure that the eye is evaluated appropriately, timely, and that if treatment is needed, you're going to make sure the patient gets it as quickly as possible. Here, the patient didn't find out about it immediately, was told that everything was uh, wonderful, um, goes home, then not long thereafter says, hey, I can't see, comes back and only then learns about the flying needle that jumped into the, the eyeball. It, it also seems possible for a plaintiff's attorney to make the argument that the delay in treatment exacerbated the injury. And so then, you know, had you addressed it right then and there and told the family, kept the patient, you could have intervened and there would have been less damage to the retina. I have no idea if that's medically accurate in this case or not, but you could certainly imagine how that argument would be made. And so you've lost all trust with the patient by trying to conceal what's happened. Um, and you may have actually further harmed the patient by delaying treatment. You're better off erring on the side of caution. The best news would have been, um, hey, needle went through. I've got an ophthalmologist coming over here now to do a visual inspection, external and internal eye. That way we can check it out. You've already brought in the best possible person to manage this. It shows you are in front of the problem instead of hoping against hope that you won't have a bigger problem down the road. I, I do think that that the patient would never have had a hard time finding an expert to say that the delay in diagnosis, delay in treatment had an impact on the outcome. And when you're dealing with 
vision and lack thereof, that's considered a horrific injury. That's like right. losing a right. limb. Uh, that's like death. I mean, these are big, big injuries and big, big injuries typically are associated with large awards. What is most shocking to me about this case is it's not that this rendered uh, an award for the patient. It's, it's that it was limited to half a million dollars. That to me seems like a surprise. Not it's, a it's trade, lower. not a trade that I would take nope. <laughs> shifting off the vision for the, uh, would the not. half a million would dollars. Not. No, I, I agree with you. It, it, it seems incredibly low, which brings out the point that awards and damages to patients, the same damage occurs in two patients if they reside in different states can be wildly different as far as compensation. Some states have caps on damages. Uh, some states are more liberal than others, just jury makeup. So take it with a, a grain of salt that this was a half million dollars because your state may be far different in the same injury, same set of facts, could have resulted in a multiple in other states. And we've actually had this illustration. I used to live in Terre Haute, Indiana, which was on the border of Indiana and Illinois. And we have this vignette where you have three patients that live across the street from each other. One gets care in uh, Terre Haute, Indiana, which um, the state has implemented substantive tort reforms. And so is a much more inviting medical legal environment for physicians. The other patient gets their care in Illinois, which is often considered a judicial hellhole, particularly if you're in Cook County. Um, other parts of the state aren't as bad, but Madison County is horrible, That's right. uh, which is East St. Louis and Cook County in Chicago is pretty bad. And then the third patient in this vignette um, gets care at the VA, meaning that it's a federally insured program. And they all in this vignette, each of them experienced the exact same type of injury. Nothing's changed. They live right across the street from each other in the same neighborhood. They just elected to get care in a different state or federal environment. And the amount of money they could collect would vary significantly for the same injury. The, the Illinois patient would likely get the most. Yep. The Indiana would be next in line and the federal patient would probably be hopeful to get anything, if at all. Exactly. It's very challenging to sue the federal government, although there's certainly ways to do it. It's just a lot more difficult. So the take home points from this case would be that you're in the operating room, you are the captain of the ship. There are exceptions to that rule, but by and large, you're paying defense at that particular point in time. And, and finally, be candid and transparent with your patient. I think they will appreciate the candor, hearing about it sooner rather than later. Any final thoughts on this, Mike? No, that, that, that wraps it up nicely, especially the candor to the patient, because in my experience, that brings on more med mal claims than anything if someone thinks that they've been intentionally deceived. Thanks for joining us today in the Medical Liability Minute. Um, if you have any questions, please send them our way to info at medicaljustice.com, info at medicaljustice.com. Until we meet again, thanks. And with that, we're at the end of our broadcast. Thanks for joining us. In closing, a few messages. If you're an existing member of medical or dental justice and you find yourself on the receiving end of a medical legal threat, please contact us at one. 877 med just 
That's 1-877-MED-JUST or 633-5878. Our STAT hotline is a service offered to all current members. It's designed to get your urgent medical legal questions answered ASAP. Members can also access a plethora of exclusive medical legal resources by logging into their members-only page, which can be accessed by our website, medicaljustice.com. Now, we want to protect as many doctors as possible. If one of your colleagues is in trouble, please refer him. When a current member of Medical Justice refers a colleague and that colleague becomes a member, you both receive a month of free protection. To refer a colleague, write to us at infonews, that's I-N, Epison Frank O News at medicaljustice.com. That's infonews at medicaljustice.com. Now, if you're not an existing member of medical or dental justice, but want to bulletproof your practice from medical legal threats, our admin, Wendy Cates, is your best resource for information about our protection plans, implementation best practices, and pricing models. Wendy can be reached directly at 336 358 5587. We offer discounts for large groups and protect doctors of all specialties in all states. Now, before we close, one last request. If you enjoyed this episode, please write a review on your preferred podcast provider and share our podcast with your colleagues. Reviews help maintain our podcast visibility, which in turn helps us reach a broader audience. This helps us protect more doctors. Thank you for joining us this week. We hope you'll join us on the next episode of the Medical Liability Minute.